Welcome to episode 72 of Redboard Rewind. My name is Spencer Luganbeal, and today my special guest was Benny Southstreet of Tripno Pros. We go over four races from the Stakes Laden Gulfstream Park Saturday card. Those races were 1, 3, 5, and 11. And some angles that we go on to talk about are all the different types of three-wide trips and why being wide in turf sprints can be death, following trainer intent based off what the jocks do in two-year-old races out of the gate, and when looking at turf races, what are the horses' records on that surface? This is Redboard Rewind. It's the same old story in this cycle. We go back and forth. We go back and forth. It ain't good for me. Why we do this for? We go back and forth. Won't do this no more. And now let's welcome in my second special guest of today. He is one of he is the founding member of Tripnome Pros. It is Benny South Street. Benny, how are you today? I'm excellent, Spencer. How are you? I'm good. Had a little hour long chat with PTF, which was nice. Glad to have you back with us. I kind of used up all my Gulfstream people, and I asked Tyler last week. I'm like, is Benny doing notes for Gulfstream? He goes, Yeah. I'm like, Well, I know who my guest for next week is now. Yeah, there's a lot of races to go through at Gulfstream. These 11 race cards and big fields are. Uh... They're time-consuming, to say the least. And people, we, we talk about, you know, how they want the bigger the bigger races and how 12-horse fields seem to, like, yield better betting product. I hit the nice little $10 horse in that five-horse stake race at Naira, which wasn't too bad. How do you feel? Do you like having the bigger fields? Obviously, for your job, it makes it more time-consuming, but when you're just handicapping for a tournament, do you feel that just the more horses in a race, the better you feel like you're or edge? Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. I don't see... Uh, smaller fields is if you're if you're a horse player is ever being something where you're you're doting over larger fields or where you can you can make money you want the whole goal is to risk very little and win a lot and that's almost impossible to do with small fields so yeah big fields are where it's at we had you last night say three words i could talk about for a half an hour race three wide use your brain people let's improve when you look at the trip note pros as something that you give to people and just like that that thing race three wide we hear it all the time. Oh, that horse was three wide. It's a bad trip. Oh, he raced, you know, he was in on the rail when the outside was good. How much of it is just people not truly watching or paying attention? They're just kind of going on something that they think they know. Whereas someone like, obviously, like you do know what you're talking about because you're doing it day in, day out, 16, 14 hours a day. Maybe. I might know what I'm talking about. It's <laughs> possible I don't also. <laughs> Look, I think people get stuck into watching the same thing over and over and over and they fail to make a connection which they may or may not be paying attention to here so when i said three wide here's an example i'll give you i wrote down a few different scenarios and this is just a few right but there are a lot more for example you've got two horses hooked and they're dueling you've got a horse that's two lengths back and he's stalking three wide it's a perfect trip Mm-hmm. So when you see a combat that says, you know, three wide or what have you, it's a perfect trip, and, and and you can't get around that. Conversely, there are many three wide trips that are bad. The in-between trip when you're dueling and you're three wide, it's a bad trip. We have, we write what's called a three-quarter length stack or a one-length stack. And if I could try and paint this picture, it's where you've got a leader that's leading by a length, 
the stalker is second by length. The third horse is third by length, and then there might be a horse out of him that is fourth, and he's clear, but he's on the outside. So we call that a one-length stack of four horses. So if you're the third horse in that in that stack, a terrible place to be because everyone's exerting a little bit more energy trying to hold their spot. They don't want to get out of that spot. And if anybody moves within that stack, it causes a reaction from any other runner. So it's a terrible place to be. Um, jockey intent comes into the three-wide trip. For example, you've got a bad jockey. And let's say it's a two-turn uh, turf race. You've got a bad jockey that's he's in a perfect spot. And he's saving ground. He saves ground through the first turn. He's saving ground on the back stretch. And he's got a loose pocket. He's a per- and he leaves, the, he leaves the pocket. And he goes three-wide. It's a bad trip. He left the perfect spot for the bad trip. Conversely, if you have a good jockey do that, and this is where you get into jockey intent, if a good, smart jockey does that, he, he thinks that horse is loaded, right? So he wants off of that. But he doesn't need the pocket anymore. That jockey believes, hey, I have this field over a barrel. I'm not going to do anything to get stuck down in there. So that three wide coupled with the jockey intent trip is is important people should pay attention to that uh no you know good jockeys know when the trash is in front of them right so they don't want to get stuck behind the trash can so they're going to ease off of there um i saw a ride the other day a rider i won't name his name but he's in a perfect spot had the had the pocket uh left the pocket and i'm like okay he's loaded but there was only one problem it was a five furlong turf sprint and he began accelerating into centrifugal force and he blew the turn right so Mm -hmm. when you're sprinting on turf three wide is almost always death especially when you're trying to accelerate and then ease off of the fence right so there's a reason why horses slow down into turns and in five furlong turf sprints you don't have that option pretty much balls of the wall the whole race right so i think jockeys need to be uh, very in tune with how athletic their horses are, if they can counter that centrifugal force, which wants, which, which, um, is, is hurting the horse because they're trying to, you know, running that fast and trying to corner, it's very difficult. And they can oftentimes blow the turn, even if it's not a lot, it only takes a half of a lane or a lane for to have a, a, a pocket sitter, shoot out of that spot and, and blow another horse wide. And a lot of these guys know it. I don't even know if they realize it or not, but you see in the turns how easy it is to push a horse out of the way. Right? So they're they're covered up and they're looking for room and they just start easing up. They, they literally almost start running straight on purpose and then the turn guides them into another horse and they push the other horse out and they find a perfect trip. Right? So just some different examples when, when you're looking at the three wide trip, there's so many different things I think people should be paying attention to, to understand is that, a, is that a good trip or is it a bad trip? And then you can make notes based on um, what happens, right? So we have the luxury of hindsight, right? So when we're trip handicapping, we don't have to, we don't have to be right. We already know the results. So, so pay attention to that. Know what these guys may have been thinking. We're not going to be right all the time but we think we're right often enough to where uh, we, we give an edge. And the three-wide one is, uh, 
there's a lot of different things that could go into it. So, and that's kind of we, we won't talk for another forty five minutes. Hopefully, that five was long enough. That's kind of what the show is all about. Hindsight, making you a better player. You had talked about perfect trips as well. For you, in a day of watching races, let's say it's just eight or nine races over the day, do you feel like there's you know, one perfect trip per race? Is there, you know, could there be three or four perfect trips within one race? Like, how do you look at a perfect trip? Because I feel like I hear that word so much that it's almost become oversaturated when you kind of talk about it at this point. Well, you know, it, it, it depends. Um, there could be there could be a ton of good trips in one race. Um, in fact, one of the races I think you wanted to look at today was the last race at mm-hmm. Gulfstream on Saturday. Yep. Um, that's an interesting one, you know, it, you've got what I call a fake fast pace in the race, um, which means that in my book, ground savers and first responders have a big advantage. And the top three finishers in that race all saved ground early and they were relatively close to that, to that flow. So, um, yeah, I've got good trip, uh, coming out of that race with several different runners. As a matter of fact, going into that race, I had, Gosh, I'd have to count them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven horses out of the 11 or 12 horse field. I had labeled as good trips going in. So I, I just drew a line through those and, and I started from there. But yeah, they're all over the place and that's where you find your value. It's too hard to find the nugget and then have them come back and win. It happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't know who they're running against the next time. You don't know if he's had, had any had any issues. We don't. We're not in the know, right? So we're just handicapping. Um, but it's a lot easier to toss a horse than it is to find a good one to come back and 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 hit the next time. You had kind of already talked about uh, jockey intent. Let's kind of talk trainer intent. Sometimes what you see with what happens uh, the big one five at the big one five asks that about jockey and trainer intent. For me, trainer intent is a ton of stuff. It comes down to logic for me a lot. If a guy claims a horse and he goes out of the jailing period and he drops the horse, to me that means the horse is not as good as he thought. And when that horse goes off four to five and wins by six, well, A, I'm probably not betting that race, or B, I tried to beat it playing a couple of other horses that were probably better odds. We see it happen every day. There's bad favorites every single day across multiple cards in the country. Yeah, trainer uh, trainer intent uh, for me is oftentimes tied into the jockey, right? So you're you're getting a feel for what that trainer is intending for his horse based on what the jockey is doing. And I'll, and I'll give you an example of that. Um, I like to pay attention to babies. You can glean a lot on the trainer's intent based on what a jockey does the first time out. For example, a lot of times people watch replays. They look at a race and they don't pay attention to what the jockeys do right away from the gate. That's trainer intent, and people don't even realize it. Maybe they do. <laughs> Maybe I'm not giving people enough credit, but for the most part, I think people just watch that gate open and they say, okay, this one had speed, that one didn't have speed, this one closed, whatever, this one was wide. But we use terms to identify what those jockeys are doing away from the gate. For example, was ridden early is completely different from sent, right? So yeah. if you got a first-time starter and we make a note that says something like, you know, was ridden for speed early, this might be a little 
early nibbling just to get him going. It's a sprint. He's got to get his horse going. But if you see the word scent, that trainer communicated to that jockey, get him away from there. This is a need to lead type. Or it could mean that they were trying to cash, right? They thought that horse was live and they're, and they're trying to win that race. Um, conversely, if you see a first time starter and the jockey comes away from the gate and he doesn't hardly ask at all, it could be a prep. Uh, could be the horse is just a lagger and a dead cold stretch run, but you kind of have to connect those dots along with, you know, pedigree angles and everything else that you use. But the trainer intent I like to focus on is in the baby races and what the jockeys are doing normally away from the gate. It could also be a rider that gets on, right? If you've got a bug up first time out, maybe that, that lighter weight can help you get away from the gate. So that could mean trainer intent. We're trying to get the lead here. If a, if a bug boy is up or if a solid speed jockey is up, there's a couple guys in, uh, in Florida that I really like when they're up front. Saez being one of them and Harmia being another. If I see a trainer that doesn't normally use those guys and he puts those guys up, I'll pay attention to that. And not so much maybe if, if you've got a regular guy, you know, a regular rider and he's up, I don't, I don't really look at that, but, that may be that trainer intending to, to, to show speed for a horse like that. But uh, yeah, those, those are the things I'm looking for when it comes to trainer intent. You see, you look at it through the jockeys. Cause obviously you're not going to, you know, if a horse drops or a horse moves up in class or, or they cut a horse and they gild them. I mean, you can, these are things we can all, we can all identify when handicapping, but I think people kind of lose it. Sometimes they don't, they don't, they're not, noticing they're not really paying attention to what they're looking at um when when certain riders go up or with, they have certain actions coming away from the gate coming away from the gate is huge for trainer intent and, and baby races i like everything you've said there let's kind of jump into our first race of the pod it was race number one from saturday at gulfstream park it was a maiden claiming twenty thousand, going five furlongs on the turf this was for Phillies and mares, four-year-olds and up. I wanted to ask you, usually we hear, you know, don't take a horse over three that's still a maiden. Well, this race specifically is for those types of horses that, you know, are getting older. What do you kind of do when you see those type of horses? Are you just looking more as a, as, as a pass race, or are you looking at more as, oh, I can attack now because people aren't used to playing these types of conditions? You know, I, I suppose I don't have any specific pattern. Um, even though it was, it, the, the race is written for four and up, these are all lightly raced, which mm-hmm. is a bad sign, right? So uh, there were none, you know, there, usually a lot of times in these races, you get several of them that are, you know, 0 for 15. They raced late at two or, or through their three-year-old campaign, and they just, they've got a lot of starts. That's not the case here. Uh, to me, it kind of looked like maybe some soundness issues with some of those that had run. And, and from a pedigree perspective, which I looked at for the first-timers, um, didn't really nothing, nothing solid stand out. I did notice some interesting things with, uh, with the jockeys and, and who they were riding in this race, which made, which made me not like any of the shorter priced, uh, horses. For example, um, Paco wasn't riding the three, right? He rides a lot for Sweezy and Vasquez was, was riding for a guy he doesn't ride uh, a lot for. And when I looked at the pedigree on the three, uh, this horse was, uh, this was the first full, uh, from that dam and the horse was a router. So 
that was an automatic toss for me. I think he was one of the shorter prices in the race. I, mm-hmm. I could be wrong, but I think he was. And Paco got on a horse that wasn't protected, that hadn't run in over a year. Um, so that, that horse had been running in straights uh, and, and was not protected. That was an automatic toss for me, as was the seven who, who uh, had a short break, was running in straights, dropped, was not bet off of the drop. Um, was for uh, what I'm guessing is is the late uh, the late trainer Jaime Mejia. I'm assuming that is his wife or daughter. I don't even know who that is, but mm-hmm. you know, again, up for a tag. Uh, six was a dirt offspring, dirt router. Um, there were a lot of negatives on a lot of horses, and uh, I actually hit the all ball on this race in my pick five, which was kind of cool, but <laughs> I ended up missing the pick five anyway. But yeah, there were there were a lot of negatives on these, and the ones that had run kind of looked like they couldn't run. Um, the nines pedigree was interesting in that uh, she was a turfer, but she was a turf router, and her best uh, offspring was was uh, a dirt sprinter. So we had a kind of an interesting combination there. But the horse came out on the track and looked like it had just gotten out of the bath. Um, she was really washy and didn't look happy out there. So I, I couldn't find anything that I liked here on paper. I just knew that I hated the favorites. So, uh, I, yeah, I, I hit the elbow. I tend to agree with you there. I didn't like any of the favorites. Again, I feel like I had this problem last year when looking at a lot of Gulfstream races. I, I know because you watch a lot of it. The 7 being 21 morning line, I know that the short-priced horse scratched out. But for that horse to go down under 2-1, to one, I know making an odds line is difficult. But, I mean, it just seems, again, like this guy is just throwing darts on a board guy or girl, whoever it is, and then that's what the number is for the horse. They're not really taking the time to really understand what's going on at the circuit. The horse that I thought was interesting was the 10 Ill Will with Paco, but like you had said, now coming out of unprotected races, off of a trainer change from Gary Contessa, Orsino has terrible numbers first time out, terrible numbers off the type of layoff, and terrible numbers made in special weight domain claiming. I was like, maybe if I can get a decent enough price, 7-2 to two was close. I needed this horse to be more like 5-1. to one. I ended up passing the race. You ended up hitting the all button. I think that mostly the reason I picked this race is for the reason that you'll find out next as we see who breaks their maiden here in the first at Gulfstream right now. Racing at Gulfstream. Excellent beginning for Mudslide Wicked and Montalvo's riding her for early command. Mama Longlegs comes away racing in second. Newcomer Talega Dinero is away in good shape. She's now third. Greg's Posse is in early fourth with Mystic Moon toward the rail. Ill Will's out four wide while starting to improve. Fina is next ahead of Princess Merida and the trailer is Anonymous Source. They leave the backstretch and move on to the far turn. Mama Longlegs pass now by Mudslide Wicked who's on the attack to put a neck on top. Talega Dinero is together with Greg's Posse third and fourth. Three wide ill will still in range for Paco while racing a bit wide on the course. Less than a quarter of a mile to come. Mudslide. Wicked comes away with the lead. Mama Longlegs is second. Greg's posse in a huge number. Talega De Niro is next with an eighth of a mile still to go. A mudslide. Wicked wanders way past the center of the course. And that allows Greg's posse to take the lead. Greg's posse is 70 to 1. Greg's posse is in front. Bombs away. And number nine, Greg's Posse wins, paying $149 on top with a 60 buyer. Nice all button there, Benny, when you don't really know what to like. Sometimes you get lucky with these all buttons. How many $100 horses have you hit, you think, in your life while playing the horses? Oh, man. I don't know. Uh, a lot, but that doesn't mean anything because I've played a lot of races. That's very <laughs> true. They're hard to come up with. They're hard to come up with. 
if you had to guess or like I know it's hard like to just say for me I know it's a lot of the bigger price you know fifty sixty dollar horses end up being a loose on the lead type that everyone just thinks will come back to the field or a stone dead closer against you know six horses that fight for the lead or maybe even like a specific surface change horse where all these dirt horses have lost multiple times or at this class level and now this one horse switching surfaces comes in and can win big. Is that kind of how, what you look for when you're looking for those big bomb horses for NHC, for BCBC, et cetera? You know, all kinds of different angles. They use software, so they come up with some sneaky stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the other day, there was one that paid $62, and, you know, the, the software had this horse at basically like five to two. So there are times like that. There are other times where I think they're looking to score, and they do some very sneaky stuff. <laughs> I know, right? You believe these guys might sneak around and try and cash a bet it's just shocking uh, but but i believe that they do uh, I, I look for those things uh, a lot of times you find horses that um gallop out well people don't pay attention to gallop outs and the, and some that do get tricked into gallop outs that are average on a pace meltdown or they're not looking at jockey's hands not permitting gallop outs not trying to be found again uh looking to cash bets so some of these things are are the things that I, that I think you can find some some big numbers with. When you look at the winner in this race, not much really spoke out to me. It just seemed, you know, obviously a new time trainer in Nancy Harris, oh for one first time starter, seems to be racing or training this horse at some training farms, and just nothing else really spoke out to me. Obviously, being a four year old was one of the younger horses in the race, but. Not much else to be seen there. Did you notice anything in the workouts? I know you're a big workout guy when it comes to these uh, first-time starters. Well, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know this trainer at all. She had two in here. She had the rail horse and she had this one. Um, it's, it's hard to get a horse fit going. You know, working. Uh, how many times we got, we got, we got uh, seven works on the page. Six of them are three eighths of a mile. Yeah. Only one of them is a half mile, and that race was back in that that work was back in October. I will say this: I'm a big believer in gate gate. I, okay. I don't know if you remember that, but we talked about uh, gate workouts leading into mm-hmm. a first time effort. And if you ever see gate gate, um, it's a good sign. So that that would be the one positive that that I can, uh, might came come away with. But I mean, realistically, I didn't I didn't like this horse. I looked at the pedigree. I drew a line. He looked awful on the track you know i drew a line right through her so is uh, is there can't can't come up with everything is there a reason gate gate matters so much compared to just other stuff like for me a lot of times i like to see that last workout being a five furlong bullet compared to a four furlong bullet just because it seems that the five furlong just gets a little bit more into them obviously being the extra furlong but why does gate gate mean so much and not so much the distances well they're 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 learning right so if they haven't run and you're teaching that runner uh you're teaching that runner what it means to to stand in there and to break the first time they do it um you know a lot of times they can they can break slow the second time they usually improve and to have those two headed right into a first time effort is probably a good thing you'd have to probably talk to a trainer they could give you a better explanation Mm -hmm. but i noticed for a long time uh that was Baffert's go-to move. It was five-eighths gate, five-eighths gate. If you ever saw that, it was like, I just moved on to the next race. It was an automatic <laughs> pre-square from it. Oh, that's pretty awesome. Let's move on to our next race. Race number three was a 62-5 
end too well, going six furlongs on the dirt. What'd you like in here, Benny? Uh, my top pick, which I played in contests and bet to win, was the two, Black Hope. I had a really strong note on Black Hope. This runner was uh, was loaded last time and, and, and searching for room. Didn't find it for a long time. And then when he finally did, uh, the whole kind of closed up on him a little bit and he didn't get through. Uh, and then he kind of was flat late. But the, the note that I had made was, you know, it could be that off the short break, he just wasn't fit enough. And he, let's be honest, these are cheap claimers. Right? Mm-hmm. They're not one or two lifetime. They're, they're, they're not strong animals. And in my opinion, if you get a horse like this, especially on dirt and at this level, um, they think they, closers need things to, to cut their way in order for them to get over the hump and get the win. And it didn't happen for this one, but I was absolutely willing to give him a pass because he did look absolutely loaded in the turn uh, and, and just didn't fire. Conversely, if you had a, a classier animal and he looked loaded and he didn't rally later, that would be a negative for me. Uh, but, but for me, the, the positive was too strong here, so so I uh, uh, I went after Black Hope. It's interesting, too, when you say, you know, oh, you have such a good trip note on and the trip note obviously in the form just says no factor. It really goes to show why having trip note pros and why doing your own research like that can really help you unearth some horses that, you know, end up at a decent price. This one was already cut in half from the 12-to-1 morning line to 6-to-1, so obviously someone had to like him. The horse I ended up with... I thought- Oh, God. I thought that was you. That no, wasn't you that no, carried that horse? That was not me. I was actually on the number four uh, first homestead. I just thought that the maiden win first time out, obviously slow fractions, but a little bit interesting. Second race might not have liked the turf. And then off the layoff, you come back. Horse gets re- gets claimed up again with a 44. So you kind of have like these three weird numbers. First off the claim, Jose Delgado was 18%, which I thought was all right. 23% dirt, 24% sprint, and 22% claiming. This is kind of what this trainer likes to do as a you know low claiming outfit. So I just thought that this one getting a little not taking much money and going up to nine to two, compared to you know playing a horse like the Rain Man, who was the favorite coming in from Woodbine. So now you have a the ship from Canada to Florida, b the horse has never seen fast dirt, and I get it the the race is not you know. There's not a lot in this race, but I'm just not going to take a short price like that on this type of horse when this guy is under two to one, when I can get nine to two and get a $10 mutual or like six to one on a horse like Black Hope. All, all good points. The one negative, I, Delgado was super hot. I had him 11 th- out of his last 39 headed into this race. Mm-hmm. Um, but the claim and drop is always a, is always a negative, right? We just yeah. talked about that one. So if if they are going to claim and drop, I'd like to see them get get bet a little bit. I, so uh, when they start to drift up, to me, it would almost seem like kind of a negative. But um, I I yeah th- I, did, I didn't yeah, yeah I think for me nine out of ten times yes it is. But I just just think in this race when I'm so against the favorite. In all honesty, when I have another negative info like that on first home, I should just pass the race. But at nine to two, I'm like okay, I'll play them across the board. Obviously, the place in show money, we all know, down the road is not good. But I just thought this is one of those few times in a card when I can play across the board where I feel like I might have an edge and could squeak out, you know, a little bit of extra money there and just, you know, almost call the race a wash. I probably should have passed this race. I ended up going across the board on first homestead. Uh, You also had the number two, Black Hope. Anything else on this before we get to the race call, Benny? Let's do it. Let's give Pete Aiello. And they're off. 
Good start out wide for Cool Dixie Man. First homestead is being sent forward down at the rail. It's Black Hope from between horses. Here's Chill Hayes moving up on the outside. Pricey victory. Yes for less was allowed to settle. He's second last. And their big favorite, the Rain Man, is last of the seven as they head to the half-mile grounds. With the advantage, it's Cool Dixie Man in front, three parts of length. First homestead is second, Chile's is third. Pricey victory spun four wide while fourth down at the inside in Black Hope. It's a gap of three. That's yes for less, and another three to the Rain Man. 22-3 and three for the opening quarter, less than three furlongs to race. Cool Dixie Man by a half a length. On the outside, Chill Hayes is now second. Back to third goes first homestead. Black Hope improves at the rail. Pricey Victory is next. Then yes for less. He still made no impression on these top horses. And still at the back is the Rain Man. Top of the lane with the advantage. It's still Cool Dixie Man. Now here's the run from Black Hope, who takes aim second. The Rain Man is underway. Yes for Less is with him with an eighth of a mile still to go. The advantage belongs to Black Hope. Black Hope leads, and he leads clearly. Here's the Rain Man up into second. First Homestead is battling with him, but Black Hope is a winner. Black Hope by three in the end. First Homestead second, the Rain Man third. And the number two, Black Hope, does get it done, paying fifteen sixty with a nice buyer figure of 59. Nice pick, Benny. Nice probably jumping you up those tournament leaderboards for sure. Yeah, it helped. I don't think I, I don't think I cashed. I don't remember. One of these I got run over. I had the lead with one race to go and it cost me <laughs> 10 grand, but oh, no. I don't know if it was this day or not. I can't remember. I had a bad, bad uh, stretch of getting run over in the last race recently. You talked about how these low-level claiming races and how difficult they can be. And this is one of the reasons why I love this idea for this show. Never in a million years did I think I would be hosting the show, but everyone wants to hear about the stake races and, you know, Vacoma and Whitmore and Authentic, whereas that's one race a day. You get one stake, you know, a couple stakes like today where four or five of them are listed, but usually you have to make money betting the maiden races, the low-level claimers, the mid-level claimers, a couple allowance horses and races. I feel like if we don't go over these races and try to help the beginning players, the advanced players, like, kind of learn some trips, some tricks and trips that it's just going to make it very, very hard to win in the, in the future. I love these races, man. Yeah. The, you know, some people don't like Goldstream because there are a lot of these, right. They're, they're cheap claimers and a lot of maiden races, but uh, you know, you got both surfaces, multiple turf courses, a lot of horses, big fields and, and good betting opportunities. So I have no problem with these. What now, obviously you had a good trip note for black hope out of that last race. Did you kind of get the trip that you were hoping for in this race? Sometimes you can envision a trip, not get it, and yet still win. You know, I, I try not to to look ahead and say, okay, what kind of trip is he going to get unless it's obvious, right, unless there's a flow opportunity like you know, a lone speed or, or it's a big advantage to be up front early or you see a pace meltdown coming. Um, to me, this looked pretty – pretty normal in terms of pace, et cetera. So I, I you know, you just got to hope you, you pick a, a, a horse that fires and he gets a good trip and, and black hope had a perfect trip. I was talking about that one length or three quarter length stack um, that happened exactly in black hope's favor. He was in a loose pocket tracking a one length stack of four horses. Um, so I was pretty confident he had everybody within that stack and he'd only have to outrun anybody coming in from behind him. And, yeah, he, he uh, had a good trip and, and got the job done at a good number. I will say this. Betting first homes that I get up at the very narrowest margin at the wire, end up, you know, making 10 bucks on a $6 wager. It's not going to make me a millionaire, but 
in this type of race when I'm only going to win by a neck and possibly finish third and lose money. I, I think now, you know, hindsight, I probably should have passed this race not having the best idea. I just, when I see a bad favorite like that, it's very difficult for me to end up passing a race like that. I, I totally agree. Even if even if you're wrong, if you if you hate the favorite, it's it's worth making a swing in my opinion. There's too much value up, on the, up there on the board. Let's move on to our next race, race number five. It was the 75,000 Glitter Woman going six and a half on the dirt. It was a short, compact field, but definitely some interesting stuff. Uh, number four, Dancing Crane, did scratch out, who was, you know, one of those interesting prices. What did you like in here, Benny? You know, I, I, I was Captain Obvious here. Uh, I had a couple really strong notes um, on, on, a, on a couple, but I, I really felt strong that the five was going to win hit the woe um she was freakishly good in both of her first two uh two races um the thing that worried me a little bit was that clement's been cold i've got him three for 30 in his Mm -hmm. last 30 starts um but i just felt she was so nice she just she was too good for these and 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 i singled her and everything it was interesting because a big thing for me when i'm looking at these types of horses is when i see a big figure like that you know, jumping up 20 points, obviously you have the second time out improvement, but just seeing it on a wet track and especially not just a wet track, but off the turf as well. Sometimes that win can look better than usual and going off of even money. I think you're supposed to win like that. Now, obviously now you have the Titanic uh, choice of, do you take the 80 at face value? And will there be more improvement or will there, you see a number somewhere in the middle that could still possibly be good enough? I ended up liking the three competitive speed a little bit. Three straight improving races. Obviously had to drop down and race on a sloppy track at ten to one to break the maiden, but then came right back at nine to one to win the next race. And the figure, if the five didn't come back with an improved effort or even just a, the same type of race as the maiden breaker, this one I thought at eight to one was going to be very very interesting on the morning line. Yeah, I didn't have a problem with the three at all. As a matter of fact, I had a really good uh, note on the three. I, I had written uh, that that uh, she was stuck five wide throughout the entire turn. Um, she didn't switch leads until very late, but when she did, she drew away very nicely. And basically she was still figuring out what she was doing on the track and we expected continued improvement. Um, but when you get back, getting back to the five, um, I know you're a big buyer guy. I'm not, but e- even that first time out mm-hmm. where, where she ran a 64, um, the note that I had first time out, she probably could have won that race by 10. I mean, she had that much trouble. It was that much of a, a poor effort. And then she came right back and did the same thing and probably could have won that race by open lengths as well. So, I mean, if I were making figures and if I were comparing and handicapping those buyers, I probably would have had something like along the lines of of 80 and then maybe a low 90. Okay. I, mean, I, I just, I really thought, I never write things like this, but what I had written about hit hit the woe, the last sentence was, this is a very nice Philly exclamation point, which I never write. So, um, yeah, that's what I liked. I, I think, too, coming out of that last race with the 80 buyer as well, second and third place did come right back to win. So I think that's something that I also probably, and a lot of other people took interest in. Let us see who yeah. w- wins this fifth race right now at Gulfstream. Here's PILO with the call racing and the glitter woman stakes the big favorite hit the woe made a mess of the start and is last to begin 
Quick start for Shopgirl, who's headed off for the early lead. Lucifer's Lair sent hard to try to gain some position up on the outside dial to win. In between horses, competitive speed. Then it's gone to Cabo and hit the woe as last of all chasing her barn buddy, Shopgirl. Shopgirl to the half-mile point, leads by a length and a half. Dial to win is second, gone to Cabo. Now races from third. Out there, fourth in competitive speed. Lucifer's Lair has plummeted to last. Pass now by the big favorite, hit the woe, as they round the far turn. Less than three-eighths of a mile to go, and Shopgirl maintains a lead while trying to stretch out the field. From second, that's still dialed a win toward the inside. Gone to Cabo, three-wide competitive speed. Trying to run home has hit the woe. She yet to be asked for her serious run yet, and she's about five lengths off the lead as they move to the top of the stretch. With the advantage, Shopgirl competitive speed takes her shot now, and she's coming after the leader second. Back to the inside and trying to run home has gone to Cabo. Hit the woe down the stand side. Final eighth of a mile, competitive speed. Roused on the top end by Lionel Reyes and clear by a length and a half. Shopgirl is second. Hit the woe has been defeated, but competitive speed is clear. It's 8-1, to one, now 9-1 to one for Javier Gonzalez. It's competitive speed to win the Glitter Woman by three in the end. And number three, competitive speed does get it done paying $20 with a 75 buyer. Just seemed like the five had some trouble at all, Benny, or was it just kind of maybe two races too much? You know, it, it could be that her game just didn't travel. Gulfstream's a sneaky surface. Um, some horses love it. Some horses hate it. A lot of the ones that you see travel away from Gulfstream don't run at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it could be a, a, an affinity for another surface in New York. Um, she did have some trouble, but she she looked to be handling uh, that the throwback just fine, and she just didn't fire. Um, I'd probably be willing to give her a pass for the race, but... Uh, we'll see where she lands next. I know she's she's got some turf pedigree in there as well, so uh, I still think she's nice. She's a girl. Um, I love my wife, but a lot of times these fillies can just absolutely lay an egg anyway, mm-hmm. and then they come back and their, their form reverts. So uh, my apologies to all the women listening, but uh, sometimes the fillies can do that. They can just decide, you know what, I just don't want to show up today. The hell with it. <laughs> so uh, I'll, I'll ignore the effort, uh, but competitive speed, uh, you know, like I said, she didn't switch leads, and when she did, she really accelerated. She did it a lot better today, and and she ran she ran a big one. So she's on the steady improve and forging nicely. I think so too. When you look at it, and you had said, you know, sometimes when they just ship down, they don't run well. When they ship back up out of Goldstream, some of them don't run well. I think that people don't look at that enough. They don't say. Oh, this horse, you know, ran three straight 90s in New York and now is in Oaklawn or is o- over in California. And they don't realize it's a to- totally different surface and they're expecting to take four to five and expect this horse to run well. They lay an egg and then it's, you know, Irad didn't have this horse in the right spot. Joel moved too late and just they find every other excuse in the book except for maybe, oh, they just mis- mislaid something in the handicapping process that would have helped them, you know, Maybe not get away from this horse, but maybe then they're too deep in their pick five to finish it out or too deep, you know, going into the, the rainbow. And that way they can st- still be alive here with having, you know, a little bit of the five and the three. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Horse for course is a big angle at Gulfstream. Um, as a matter of fact, I played in the, the NHC uh, qualifier on, on Saturday, and there was a horse in the 10th race that I had picked um, that went, ended up going off at, at 20 to 1, who was troubled and probably should have won horse had run two crackers at Gulfstream, shipped up to New York, I, I believe it was New York, and uh, ran against Jackie's Warrior. He was only 6-1 to one against mm-hmm. Jackie's Jackie's Warrior. Didn't run well. They tried him again. Didn't run well again. 
and then shipped back down to Gulfstream. They laid him off. He was fresh, and he fired a huge one at 20 to 1. So all three of his races were excellent at Gulfstream, and the two that he had run outside of Florida were just duds. I think that's a great angle. Let's move on to the last race of the podcast. Race number 11 from Gulfstream Park was a 35 to 25,000 claimer going 101.60 miles. The conditions were for four-year-olds and up, which have never won three races or which have never won a race since July 2nd, 2020. So it's pretty much not one or three lifetime and not one or one in six months. You know, I I, uh, I screwed up here. Um, I ended up, I'm, I'm kind of giving a hint of, of me missing, but I I went with the number four horse, Go Poke the Bear, in here. Um, earlier I'd mentioned I had good trips on seven of the horses. Uh, so I, I had drawn lines through all of those. Uh, I missed some important information on the eventual winner. Um, but I did like Go Poke the Bear. I thought the pace uh, was going to be fast. Uh, I, he was the most logical closer. I'm not a big Santana fan on grass. I thought he had a huge rider upgrade moving from Santana to Ired. He was second off the break. Um, didn't have the problem with moving from the protected rank to the claiming rank uh, for Maker, who oftentimes... Uh, drops and wins uh, i considered this to be a drop uh so I, I had some positives going for the four and that's who i landed on i, I kind of felt like there was like five six seven horses that could win this race i ended up on the number seven artemis bridge more or less due to the price the fifty thousand race last time out with jose the buyer was good enough at a 77 to match up with some of these but this one had good back races a couple 80s in there in the allowance ranks a couple races at monmouth and laurel which i know people say are considered the weaker tracks, but this is one that I thought with a price, you know, ke- keeping Jose on. Steve Klosaris is 18% on turf, which is a pretty good number. Only 8% routes, but this is one at the price, you know, of 12 to 1 on the morning line that I thought I could maybe finish the day with a bang. Yeah, he was, on paper, he looked, uh, he looked legitimate, but he was one of the ones for me that I thought he had a good trip. Um, he got knocked around a little bit at the start, but that pace last time, if you watched that race with the Morocco, uh, the mm. Morocco race, it is an absolute Thelma. I call it a Thelma and Louise pace. It's just <laughs> suicidal. Okay. Right? They just, they're going way too fast and he made up no ground in the stretch. So for me, that was a, was a poor effort and, and I didn't like him, but the things that you brought up were, were logical and, and, you know, yeah, he, he, he's won on paper you can win, but if you watch the replay, you probably wouldn't have, have, have landed on. When you find all those good trip horses and there's, you know, 12 in a race and you can knock out six immediately, obviously we're hoping for them to be the shorter price horses, but how much easier is it when – I kind of same thing with the buyer pars. You know, it doesn't work as well as for the replays because a lot of them are going to be the lower price horses, but – if I use the buyer par stuff and I can knock out a bunch of horses and then I can find, you know, a good class angle on a six to one shot compared to the three to two favorite. Like that's how I really end up finding my value. Obviously with you, it comes down to the trip notes when you can cross out six horses. I mean, you must be on cloud nine at that point. Yeah, it was funny when I was doing this, uh, when I was writing this race, it was about three in the morning and I started to question whether or not I was too tired because I kept (laughs) writing the same thing. I was writing, good trip, good trip, good trip. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Every horse in here can't, couldn't have had a good trip. So actually I had to go back and I, I did it. I did it again. I watched the races again just to be sure I wasn't, I wasn't working uh, on empty. Um, but yeah, it's a big help. Um, in my opinion, what we do 
is the only real value um, because every, there, there's, it's never been – horse playing has never been more difficult from a gaming perspective. It's just hard to make money. There's so many good players. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's speed figures that people look at. There's thoroughgraph sheets and Ragusan sheets. There's computer players and arbors that make the markets extremely tight. Everyone's looking at software. Everyone's got really, you know, there's a lot of so- software programs out there that are really, really good. And the markets are just tight. So I think you've got to find something that no one else is looking at. And who the hell in their right mind is going to spend eight hours watching every horse on replay? You'd have to be crazy. <laughs> so not many people do that. And that's why I think you can find some things that maybe other people don't find, and, and that's where you can find some value. Yes, yeah, so to answer your question, the, the shorter version is when I see a good trip on half the field, uh, I'm kind of licking my chops a little bit because uh, I, I do believe it's a good betting opportunity, and you can beat the takeout at that point uh, handsomely and, and, uh, and potentially make some money. Let's see if the number four Go Poke the Bear can get it done for Benny or if – the number seven Artemis Bridge can get it done for me in the nightcap here at Gulfstream right now. And runners away. Good start up the inside for Street Copper. There goes Fielder up on the outside, and Fielder and going after Street Copper. These two race on. That's good news for blameless fans. It's, he's going to get a good trip third behind the speed, followed up the rail by Golden Decision. Wide on the course is Monongahela, who wasn't exceptionally quick into stride. Memorable is racing between horses. Length and a half to Light Fury, followed up the rail by Troubling Moon. Willing to speed is on his outside. He's better than nine lengths off the pace center. Then Artemis Bridge, while third last, second last is Troubling Moon, and the trailer is Go Poke, the bear. Into the backstretch they go, and the top two running off on the top end. Street Copper leads by a neck. Up on the outside fielder is their second. They're putting on the speed, six or seven ahead of Blameless. Then it's Golden Decision. Light Fury is at the inside. Moving up on the outside, that's memorable. Back from there, it's a gap of another length and a half to Troubling Moon. He's racing inside of Monongahela. Improving at the fence goes Patriot Drive on the inside and Artemis Bridge. And Go Poke the Bear still lingers at the back of the group as they round the far turn. Street Copper puts away Fielder, but here comes Blameless and here comes Golden Decision. They're the ones who have been tripped out and they're rallying to the leader, Troubling Moon. He's on their back looking to work into the three-path. Magonongahela is next with a quarter of a mile left to go. Street Copper about to be inhaled. He turns for home on top by a length and a half. Blameless over the top. Golden Decision. Light Fury up the inside. Troubling Moon shakes free. He's down the center. Final eighth of a mile. Here's Light Fury at the rail. Blameless over the top and coming on late is Troubling Moon. Coming home for the wire, Light Fury, Blameless, Troubling Moon on the outside. It's a three-way photo. And the number five, Light Fury guy done paying sixteen forty with a good buyer of eighty-five. Benny, thoughts on the winner? And did we just make a mistake here, or was it just you know too many horses to have at once? You know the the, the one I did have him as a good trip last time, but but uh, he made his own trip. He, he tracked and won rather easily, but. One of the angles that I love to look for in turf racing is it's pretty simple, and that's are you undefeated on turf? Mm-hmm. Or how is your record on turf? And he was two for two going into this race. Um, he's a forward-running type, so he's probably going to get a good trip anyway. He's rateable. Uh, he's going to make out his own good trip more often than not. So being two for two um, and headed into a race where so many others had had good trips, Spats has been hot. Uh, he took him last time, and and 
was a was a you know put him right back on the turf, uh, and he won. So I shouldn't have overlooked him, and I did. Uh, and he had a he had a great trip. So this is that race where I said you know I, I call it a fake fast duel, which is where you get uh, two horses that tear away from the rest of the field and they're ignored. They're correctly ignored by the other jockeys, and it's kind of that race within a race. So. Um, horses that save ground and the forward, I call them the early responders, uh, the early responders and the ground savers have a big advantage. And he was both right. So he was tracking almost, almost like he was the, the real pocket runner. And uh, he came right up the fence and, and got the job done at a really nice price, which, which really bothered me because <laughs> he, he was gettable. And I, I didn't get him. I think too, even the second place horse blame was going off as one of the favorites, shorter priced horses, just, Four, four of the last, I'm sorry, three of the last four races were all in the 80s. Came back and run in 84, so pretty much the last three have been 81, 82, 84. It's never those big jumps in turf. You always see those small little improvements. So I, th- I think I just kind of stepped out on the ledge. That was, you know, obviously you had said this horse had a, a good trip last time out and couldn't do any running in the lane. Obviously showed running with a 71 here. I think that maybe in this race I kind of just... I knew there was five or six that could get it done. I just I went for that eighth horse in the picking order, and that was obviously not the way to go in this race. You know, it happens. We all you, you can't be right every single time. So we're gonna be we're gonna be wrong way more often than we're right. You just have to make sure you're playing prices, and uh, you can overcome those losses. So no big deal. Like Jay Z said, on to the next one. Yeah. <laughs> And on to the next one it will be. That's all the time we have for today's show. I'd like to thank Benny South Street for coming on. Trip Note Pros helped me out the last two weeks. Tyler Hoffman this week, you this week. Tell people where they can find Trip Note Pros and what they can do to subscribe and you know just get a hold of those wonderful nuggets of information. The website address is troopnotepros.com. The sign-up is free. Uh, it's just an email address. We, we kind of shut it down for a little while where we were sending out a free note here or there, but we're going to start that up again. So when you sign up, you'll get an automated email uh, for one horse per day at each of the tracks that we do. Right now we're doing Gulfstream uh, and Santa Anita. Uh, and if you go to SantaAnita.com, uh, you'll see us under the handicapping tools, uh, the Trip Note Pros icon on their site, and you can get a free race card from Santa Anita on each race day for this meet. Sounds like a blast. Benny, thanks again for coming on. Appreciate it. You got it. Anytime, Spencer. Thanks again to all the wonderful listeners and my special guest, Benny South Street. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. In The Money Media's present is Peter Thomas Pornatel. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. And our In The Money Media business manager is Drew Coatney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl, and we will see you next time. Mm-hmm.